0: In our first two episodes, we discussed how Measure for Measure confronts the universal faults and frailty of humankind, while also presenting at least a few models of spiritual strength and integrity. In this episode, we see those weaknesses and strengths at their extremes. We focus on Act 2, Scene 2 and Act 2, Scene 4, the two interviews between Isabella and Angelo. You will hear actor Juliet Stevenson perform slightly abridged versions of these scenes with commentary from featured scholar Gordon Teske, Francis Lee Higginson Professor of English Literature at Harvard University. At the end of Act 2, Scene 2, you'll also hear an additional performance of Angelo's soliloquy from actor Patterson Joseph. Finally, you'll hear a performance of Claudio's speech in prison from actor Harriet Walter.
1: You're welcome. What's your will?
0: I am a woeful
1: suitor to your honor. Please but your honor hear me. Well, what's your suit? There is a vice that most I do abhor, and most desire should meet the blow of justice, for which I would not plead, but that I must. For which I must not plead, but that I am at war twixt will and will not. Well, the matter. I have a brother, is condemned to die. I do beseech you, let it be his fault and not my brother. Condemn the fault and not the actor of it. Why, every fault's condemned, ere it be done. Mine were the very cipher of a function to find the faults whose fine stands in record, and let go by the actor. Must he needs die? Maiden, no remedy. Yes, I do think that you might pardon him, and neither heaven nor man grieve at the mercy. I will not do it. But can you, if you would? Look what I will not, that I cannot do, but might you do it, and do the world no wrong? If so, your heart were touched with that remorse, as mine is to him.
2: Her intellect has been engaged at this point, which is why she's able to keep going, because with her the intellect always leads, not the heart. And note how we go grammatically from will to can to might. It's like a hole getting smaller, but it's still there. And she says, yeah, but might, what about that propositional might? If maybe you were a little different, might you? You might have to change a bit yourself to do it, but maybe, maybe you could manage to do it in those circumstances. It's very clever, the way, subtle but clever, the way she leads on from one point to the next. At this point, Angelo recognizes the intellectual quality of the person he's dealing with, and so he weasels out and says, oh, too late. Even if you could persuade me, it's already done. "'He's sentenced. "'Tis too late.'
3: "'Too
1: late? "'Why, no. "'I that do speak a word may call it back again. "'Well, believe this. "'No ceremony that to great one's longs "'not the king's crown, nor the deputed sword, "'the marshal's truncheon, nor the judge's robe, "'but come them with one half so good a grace "'as mercy does.' If he had been as you, and you as he, you would have slipped like him, but he, like you, would not have been so stern.
2: The first part of that speech, I think, is where he becomes, he's starting to become attracted to her. Nor Marshall's truncheon, nor the judge's robe, become them with one half so good a grace as mercy does. It's because it's passionate. It's not a logical argument, it's a passionate one, and he's seeing that passion in her, and it's inciting him, it's inflaming him. Then she compares him to Claudio, and at that she loses ground, because Angelo wants no comparison between himself and Claudio.
1: Pray you, begone! I would to heaven I had your potency, and you were Isabel, should it then be thus? No! I would tell what twere to be a judge, and what a prisoner! Your brother is a forfeit of the law, and you but waste your words alas alas why all the souls that were were forfeit once and he that might the vantage best have took found out the remedy how would you be if he which is the top of judgment should but judge you as you are oh think on that and mercy then will breathe within your lips like man new made
2: and now Isabella makes that transcendental appeal This is essentially the the language of the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not, that ye be not judged. It's reasonable for him to respond. But I am a judge, thus I must judge.
1: Be you content, fair maid. It is the law, not I, condemn your brother. Were he my kinsman, brother, or my son, it should be thus with him. He must die tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, that sudden! Spare him, spare him! He's not prepared for death! Even for our kitchens we kill the fowl of season! Shall we serve heaven with less respect than we do minister to our gross selves? Good, good, my lord, but think you! Who is it that hath died for this offence, There's many have committed it? The law hath not been dead, though it hath slept. Those many had not dared to do that evil, if the first that did the edict infringe had answered for his deed. Now it is awake, takes note of what is done, and, like a prophet, looks in a glass that shows what future evils, either new or by remissness new conceived, and so in progress to be hatched and born, are now to have no successive degrees, but ere they live to end." yet show some pity i show it most of all when i show justice for then i pity those i do not know which a dismissed offense would after gall and do him right that answering one foul wrong lives not to act another be satisfied your brother dies tomorrow be content so you must be the first that gives this sentence and he that suffers. Oh, it is excellent to have a giant's strength, but it is tyrannous to use it like a giant. Could great men thunder as Jove himself does, Jove would ne'er be quiet, for every pelting petty officer would use his heaven for thunder nothing but thunder merciful heaven thou rather with thy sharp and sulphurous bolt splits the unwedgeable and gnarled oak than the soft myrtle but man proud man dressed in a little brief authority most ignorant of what is most assured his glassy essence like an angry ape plays such fantastic tricks before high heaven as make the angels weep who with our spleens would all themselves laugh mortal. We cannot weigh our brother with ourself. Great men may jest with saints, tis wit in them, but in the less foul profanation. That in the captains but a choleric word, which in the soldier is flat blasphemy.
2: Angelo is silent. Shakespeare's giving the actor playing Angelo some time to react to reflect to change we're supposed to see some kind of change going on in angelo what's the actor doing through this long longish period of being left alone he's falling more and more in passion with isabella
1: why do you put these sayings on me because authority "'though it err, like others, hath yet a kind of medicine in itself "'that skins the vice of the top. "'Go to your bosom, knock there, and ask your heart "'what it doth know that's like my brother's fault. "'If it confess a natural guiltiness such as is his, "'let it not sound a thought upon your tongue against my brother's life.' "'She speaks.' And tis such sense that my sense breeds with
2: it. And here's the great moment of this scene. Angelo's horrifying aside. There's that double, there's that play on the word sense. She speaks sense and tis such sense that my sense breeds with it. He's experiencing sensual passion Including, I, I have to say, its physiological effect. It's as if he's experiencing them for the first time with a kind of horror and embarrassment. Fare you well.
1: Gentle my lord, turn back. I will bethink me. Come again tomorrow. Hark! How I'll bribe you! Good my lord, turn back! How? Bribe me. I, with such gifts that heaven shall share with you, not with fond shekels of the tested gold or stones whose rates are either rich or poor as fancy values them, but with true prayers that shall be up at heaven and enter there ere sunrise, prayers from preserved souls, from fasting maids whose minds are dedicate to nothing temporal. Well, come to me tomorrow. Heaven keep your honour safe. Amen. For I am that way going to temptation where prayers cross. At what hour tomorrow shall I attend your lordship? At any time forenoon. Save your honour. From thee, even from thy virtue.
2: We've seen the moment of Angelo's error, his slip what the Greeks would call hamartia. Hamartia means a flaw, an error, a moment of slippage. Tripping over something is a hamartia for the Greeks. That's his moment right there when he says, come again tomorrow. That's, that's the turning point for Angelo. He's now on the, on the downward slope of falling into sin. And so she says, save your honor. And now we have Angelo alone on the stage
1: what's this what's this (laughs) is this her fault or mine the tempter or the tempted who sins most, ha? Not she, nor doth she tempt, but it is I that lying by the violet in the sun do as the carrion does, not as the flower corrupt with virtuous season. Can it be that modesty may more betray our sense than woman's lightness?' Having waste ground enough, shall we desire to raise the sanctuary and pitch our evils there?
2: And then he uses that really horrifying phrase, "having waste ground enough." the The contrast is between waste ground, unused land, and the sanctuary of holiness. And waste ground stands for prostitutes. So, it, one is shocked not just at what he's saying intentionally, but what he's saying unintentionally in speaking of women forced into prostitution as waste ground. The contempt for them is palpable there. I'm just going to take a a flyer here and say, I think Shakespeare probably knew a lot of prostitutes personally, given where he worked. I'm not saying he, he... Employed their services, I'm just saying that he probably knew them as people in all kinds of ways, knew them as mothers, knew them as in other areas of ordinary social interaction, and understood them as people. So I think that that phrase "waste ground" is meaningful not just to us but to Shakespeare as well. It's intentionally shocking oh fie, 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 What
1: dost thou, or what art thou, Angelo? Dost thou desire her foully for those things that make her good? Oh, let her brother live. Thieves for their robbery have authority when judges steal themselves.
2: Of course, if you've gone this far, the right thing to do is give an immediate order to let Claudio out. But he can't do it because he wants that next interview. He wants to feast upon her eyes. Maybe at this moment he thinks even that he'll have the second interview deny her again and have feasted enough and let Claudio go after it. I think that's still a possibility in his mind as well. But he's doing what uh, Sir Francis Bacon called dandling a sin or playing with a sin. Very dangerous thing to do. What do I love
1: her? That I desire to hear her speak again and feast upon her eyes. What is thy dream on? Oh, cunning enemy, that to catch a saint with saints dost bait thy hook.
2: What's, I guess, funny about that expression is that he considers himself a saint. She's the saint who is the bait who is on the devil's hook in order to catch him, and he's still thinking of himself as a saint. The speech shows that he's very far from that altogether. But that illusion about himself is crucial for the drama. Because he really does think he's good, but that this is an aberration of some kind he can get through, he's not as alarmed as he should be. And and that's why the real hook for the devil is making you think you're a saint. That's the temptation of the devil.
1: Most dangerous is that temptation that doth goad us on to sin in loving virtue. Never could the strumpet, with all her double vigour, art, and nature, once stir my temper, but this virtuous maid subdues me quite. Ever till now, when men were fond, I smiled
2: and wondered how. Fond means sexually aroused as well as the other meanings that it carries. When men were sexually aroused, he's saying, I smiled and wondered, how? How could you be so weak? It's never occurred to him before. It's just a marvelously complicated speech where you're seeing a soul in great, in great danger. May I make another risky assertion and say that I think the spiritual uh, journey that has traveled in this speech, is even more appalling and more complex and smart than the one that is represented for us in Macbeth. What's this? What's this? Is this her fault
4: or mine? The tempter or the tempted who sins most? Not she, nor doth she tempt, but it is I that lying by the violet in the sun Do as the carrion does Not as the flower corrupt With virtuous season Can it be That modesty may more betray Our sense than woman's lightness Having waste ground enough Shall we desire to raise the sanctuary And pitch our evils there Fie, oh, fie, fi, fi. What dost thou, or what art thou Angelo Dost thou "'desire her foully for those things that make her good? "'Oh, let her brother live. "'Thieves, for their robbery, have authority "'when judges steal themselves. "'Do I love her that I desire to hear her speak again "'and feast upon her eyes? "'What is thy dream on? "'Oh, cunning enemy!' that to catch a saint with saints dost bait thy hook. Most dangerous is that temptation that doth goad us on to sin in loving virtue. Never could the strumpet, with all her double vigour, art, and nature, once stir my temper. But this virtuous maid subdues me quite. Ever till now, when men were fond, I smiled
2: and wondered how. Back to scene four. It is an interview between Isabella and Angelo alone. It comes over her gradually over the course of the scene that the tests that he seems to be putting her to, the tests of her virtue, would you do this, might you do that to save him, or ways of introducing into her mind the idea that she might compromise her integrity that is her spiritual purity in in a way that will satisfy his lust but also save her brother
1: how now fair maid i am come to know your pleasure that you might know it would much better please me than to demand tis. your brother cannot live, even so? Heaven keep your honour, yet may he live a while, and it may be as long as you or I, yet he must die under your sentence, yea. When I beseech you, that in his reprieve, longer or shorter, he may be so fitted that his soul sicken not. Ha! Fie, these filthy vices! It were as good to pardon him that hath from nature stolen a man already made, as to remit their saucy sweetness that do coin heaven's image in stamps that are forbid.' "'Tis all as easy falsely to take away a life true-made "'as to put metal in restrained means to make a false one. "'Tis set down so in heaven, but not in earth. "'Say you so. "'Then I shall pose you quickly. "'Which had you rather, that the most just law "'now took your brother's life?' Or to redeem him, give up your body to such sweet uncleanness as she that he hath stained. Sir, believe this. I had rather give my body than my soul. I talk not of your soul. Our compelled sins stand more for number than for account. How say you? Nay, I'll not warrant that, for I can speak against the thing I say. Answer to this. I, now the voice of the recorded law, pronounce a sentence on your brother's life. Might there not be a charity in sin to save this brother's life? Please you to do it. I'll take it as a peril to my soul. It is no sin at all but charity.' pleased you to do it at peril of your soul were equal poise of sin and charity that i do beg his life if it be sin heaven let me bear it you granting of my suit if that be sin i'll make it my morn prayer to have it added to the faults of mine and nothing of your answer nay but hear me Your sense pursues not mine. Either you are ignorant or seem so craftily, and that's not good. Let me be ignorant and in nothing good, but graciously to know I am no better. Thus wisdom wishes to appear most bright when it doth tax itself, as these black masks proclaim and enshield beauty ten times louder than beauty could displayed, but, mark me, To be received plain, I'll speak more gross. Your brother is to die. So, and his offence is so as it appears accountant to the law upon that pain. True, admit no other way to save his life, as I subscribe not that nor any other but in the loss of question, that you, his sister, finding yourself desired of such a person whose credit with a judge or own great place could fetch your brother from the manacles of the all-building law, and that there were no earthly means to save him, but that either you must lay down the treasures of your body to this supposed, or else to let him suffer. What would you do? As much for my poor brother as myself. That is, were I under the terms of death, the impression of keen whips I'd wear as rubies and strip myself to death as to a bed that longing hath been sick for, ere I'd yield my body up to shame. Then must your brother die, and the cheaper way better it were a brother died at once than that a sister by redeeming him should die forever were not you then as cruel as the sentence that you have slandered so ignominy in ransom and free pardon are of two houses lawful mercy is nothing kin to foul redemption
2: he has said would you not be as cruel in such a situation as I am proposing to you in the semi-abstract, to decline to save your brother's life at the cost of your own sexual purity and spiritual purity. And she says, "'Ignominy and ransom and free pardon are of two houses.'" I just love the beauty of her mind, that the way she makes those distinctions so clear. Ignominy in ransom and free pardon are of two houses, two separate categories.
1: You seemed of late to make the law a tyrant, and rather proved the sliding of your brother a merriment than a vice. Oh, pardon me, my lord, It oft falls out to have what we would have, we speak not what we mean. I something do excuse the thing I hate for his advantage that I dearly love. We are all frail, else let my brother die, if not a Federer but only he owe and succeed thy weakness. Nay, women are frail too ay as the glasses where they view themselves which are as easy broke as they make forms women help heaven men their creation mar in profiting by them nay call us ten times frail for we are soft as our complexions are and credulous to false prints i think it well And from this testimony of your own sex, since I suppose we are made to be no stronger than faults may shake our frames, let me be bold. I do arrest your words. Be that you are, that is, a woman. If you be more, you're none. If you be one, as you are well expressed by all external warrants, show it now by putting on the destined livery.
2: He has said, if you're more than an ordinary woman, and an ordinary woman is someone who would give in to this request, the way all women give in in the end, if besieged long enough, and if you're not, you're not a woman, you're something that transcends the very state of being a woman. Her whole protest against society is based on the idea that she is a woman, and yet she rejects this entire system and this entire corrupt society.
1: I have no tongue but one. Gentle, my lord, let me entreat you speak the former language. Plainly conceive. I love you. My brother did love Juliet, and you tell me that he shall die for it. He shall not, Isabel, if you give me love. I know your virtue hath a license i which seems a little fouler than it is to pluck on others. Believe me, on mine honour, my words express my purpose. <sighs> little honour to be much believed and most pernicious Purpose, seeming, seeming. I will proclaim thee, Angelo. Look for it, sign me a present pardon for my brother, or with an outstretched throat I'll tell the world aloud what man thou art.
2: It comes over her slowly, but when she gets it, she still pretends to be ignorant and gives him a last chance to back away before she tells him that she will proclaim him if he doesn't sign a present pardon for her brother's death. This shows her presence of mind. As soon as he's open in his sexual declaration to her, she says, right, sign a pardon for my brother right now or I'm going to proclaim you. She she keeps her mind, as usual, on the target. And he says, who will believe thee? Isabel, it's your word against mine. I'm bound to prevail. Who will believe thee, Isabel?
1: My unsoiled name, the austereness of my life, my vouch against you, and my place in the state will so your accusation overweigh that you shall stifle in your own report and smell of calumny. I have begun, and now I give my sensual race the rein. fit thy consent to my sharp appetite, lay by all nicety and prolixious blushes that banish what they sue for, redeem thy brother by yielding up thy body to my will, or else he must not only die the death, but thy unkindness shall his death draw out to lingering sufferance. Answer me tomorrow, or by the affection that now guides me most, I'll prove a tyrant to him." As for you, say what you can. My false,
2: always, your true. Don't that phrase, by the affection that now guides me most, I'll prove a tyrant to him. Affection also meant sexual attraction. It's like, by the passionate anger that I'm directing at you right now, I'll, I'll redirect it onto him and torture him. With as much passion as I'm seeking to have your body, I will direct towards putting his body in agony. It's one of those moments in Shakespeare where you, you almost want to block, say, I didn't see that, did I? It's, the thought is The thought is horrible, but very powerful.
1: To whom should I complain? Did I tell this? Who would believe me? oh perilous mouths that bear in them one and the self same tongue either of condemnation or of proof bidding the law make curtsy to their will hooking both right and wrong to the appetite to follow as it draws ah to my brother though he hath fallen by prompture of the blood, yet hath he in him such a mind of honour that had he twenty heads to tender down on twenty bloody blocks, he'd yield them up before his sister should her body stoop to such abhorred pollution. Then Isabel live chaste, and brother die. More than our brother is our chastity. I'll tell him yet of Angelo's request and fit his mind to death for his soul's
2: rest. This is a very different kind of soliloquy from the soliloquy of Angelo because in Angelo's soliloquy, we are seeing a diseased and warped soul unfolding itself before us and also unfolding itself before itself and seeing what is inside himself, seeing the horrors that lie there. Here we are seeing, I think, purity and integrity speaking. But purity and integrity, not in an allegorical sense, but as a real young woman put in this situation. She's shocked. She's angry. She does a quick analysis of the likelihood of what will happen if she condemns Angelo with an outstretched throat. It's a terrible commentary on the violence of men towards women, using all of the legal organs of the state for that purpose. And then she turns to her brother, the only person that she has in the world, who is to be taken from her by this, and says, though... Nature has made him have premarital sex with the woman to whom he is betrothed. He still has a mind of honor. And, of course, he'd never live with the dishonor of having his life bought at the price of my purity and integrity and virtue. Then Isabel, live chaste and brother die. That's not a a subjunctive brother die. simple indications of what is to occur, then this is what's going to follow. I'll live chaste and my brother will die. which simply means that her appeal to Angelo has been unsuccessful. She's not going to enter into this devil's bargain with him. More than our brother is our chastity is a simple statement of in fact, she's undertaken this strong protest against the society she lives in by removing herself from it and removing herself from the corrupted cycle of sexual generation that exists. And she can't lose her courage at the first admittedly very severe threat to that program of protest. We may feel shocked or surprised at this conclusion that she draws, that her chastity is more to her than her brother, but that's because we're not Isabella.
0: This speech comes from Act Three, while Claudio is in prison awaiting his death sentence. He has just learned from Isabella that Angelo has offered to pardon him if Isabella will satisfy Angelo's desire. Claudio wants Isabella to consider the offer and she tells him that shamed life is a hateful thing. This
5: is his reply. I but to die and go we know not where. To lie in cold obstruction and to rot. This sensible warm motion to become a needed clod. And the delighted spirit to bathe in fiery floods, or to reside in thrilling region of thick ribbed ice, <laughs> to be imprisoned in the viewless winds and blown with restless violence round about the pendant world. Or to become worst than worst, of those that lawless and uncertain thought imagine howling, tis too horrible. The weariest and most loathed worldly life that age, ache, penury, and imprisonment can lay on nature is a paradise to what we fear of death.
3: Shakespeare for All is written and produced by Maria Devlin-McNair. Executive producer is Zachary Davis. Associate producer and narrator is Gemma Deer. Original music and sound design is by Jack Pombrian. This episode featured performances by the following actors. Juliet Stevenson for Isabella and Angelo. You're welcome. What's your will? Patterson Joseph for Angelo. What's this? What's this? Dame Harriet Walter for Claudio. Die but to die. For this course, information was drawn from and ideas were inspired by the following sources. Sarah Beckwith, Shakespeare and the Grammar of Forgiveness. Christy Desmond, A Modern Perspective, Measure for Measure. Marjorie Garber, Shakespeare After All. Emma Smith, This is Shakespeare. And the following editions of Measure for Measure. The 1997 Riverside Shakespeare, The 2010 RSC Shakespeare, the 2016 Norton Shakespeare, and the 2020 Arden Shakespeare. Shakespeare for All is a Lyceum original production and available wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more about the show by visiting shakespeareforall.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.